Sometimes during the lockdown, I've been leaving the house before dawn to hear the birds. And there is something special about Britain, and it is that we have one of the best dawn choruses in the world. And not many people know that. And a lot of people go through life without ever hearing it, which I feel is a tragedy. And so I try every year to get out at least a couple of times at about half past four at this time of year, before dawn, to witness this extraordinary thing. And during lockdown, it's been even more special than it is in other years. Because always when you set out at that time, it feels like entering a different world. It, it sounds completely different. It looks completely different. It feels completely different. So by setting out before dawn, you double the size of your world. It's not just that more birds are singing. When the air is denser, it, it seems to fill with song, so that the air almost is song. Then as, as the light rises, the symphony very quickly tails away and is replaced with the usual daytime sounds. And, and I hear people saying, well, you know, I, I got up at half past five and I didn't hear anything. And you say, you missed it, mate. You were too late. You were 15 minutes too late. You know, it finished 15 minutes before you got up. And when that moment happens, when the light rises and the everyday sounds resume, it feels like stepping back through the portal into everyday life. Now, we think of ourselves as an indoor nation, obsessed with TV, obsessed with our phones. But if this terrible virus has taught us anything, it's how much we crave the outdoors. You know, we might love our homes, but as soon as we're forbidden to step out, they feel like prisons. And it seems to me that even before the lockdown, many of us were ecologically bored. We were like scratching at the walls of this life trying to find a way into a wider place beyond. And during the lockdown, we've seen two extraordinary phenomena. One has been the reclamation by wildlife of our places, or the places we thought of as our places, the cities. Um, we've seen wild boar and deer returning to urban Europe. We've seen fantastic videos like the monkeys jumping into a hotel, a hotel swimming pool in India and swimming. And, but as well as the phenomenon of seeing it, we've seen this extraordinary phenomenon of sharing it. Millions upon millions of people sharing these videos, these massive viral videos going around of look at wildlife in our cities, look at this reconnection taking place. And, and this Massive enthusiasm, this extraordinary sharing, confirms to me that we love the idea of richer encounters with wildlife, that we've been missing them, that there's something here that we want. And there's something else we've learned during the pandemic, which is that political outcomes are not set in stone. For years we've been told there is no alternative. 
there's no alternative to austerity. Sorry, but it's just completely impossible for government borrowing to go beyond a certain level. The idea of a universal basic income, sorry, that's just completely ridiculous. Don't even think about it. The homeless, well, it's very sad, but they'll always be with us. There simply aren't enough places to house everybody. Suddenly, as soon as the coronavirus hits, we discover that extra borrowing is eminently possible, that austerity was not inevitable, that even in Trump's America, you can start talking about a universal basic income, that as soon as rough sleepers are considered to be a threat to public health, oh yes, places can immediately be found for them, with the government instruction that everyone must be housed. So it can be done. It turns out that there was an alternative. It wasn't a question of physical or economic impossibility, it was a question of political will. We've been mesmerized into accepting that we live in a political cage, a cage that does not exist. So if and we must hope when we emerge from this nightmare, let's use these insights to create the world in which we want to live. And I suspect that will be a far richer and wilder world than the one that we live in today. Not least because you know, the wizard behind the screen has been exposed. It was all bullshit. We are allowed to do different things. We are allowed to live differently. We are allowed a different world. All the things we've been told about how uh, we can't have the changes required to prevent environmental breakdown or climate breakdown because people would never put up with it. They'd never put up with changing their mode of transport or having a different way of producing electricity or perhaps consuming a bit less or flying less. Well, you know, we've been asked to put up with a, a hundred times more, a thousand times more disruptive change in response to the pandemic than any of the changes we're calling for in response to our environmental crises. So yeah, it can be done. It can easily be done by comparison to what we've had to do for COVID-19. So during this great reset, let's decide what we want. Let's decide how we want to come out of this. Let's find some compensation for the horrors of this pandemic that we've been suffering. And alongside those things, which might in some very small measure, restrict our freedoms in order to protect the living world, to protect our life support systems, like flying less. Let's also look at the things which will enhance our freedoms and enhance the scope and range of our lives. Let's rewild our nation and rewild our lives. Now, it happens that just last week, for the first time in um, 604 years, Stork babies were born in Britain, and they were in fact delivered by stork. Uh, this was at the, the, the Netcastle estate, one of the places where storks have recently been reintroduced in a big national project. And for me, it's one of the most exciting things that's happened here in a very long time. We're seeing this bird, which became extinct because of human persecution, brought back to life in this country. And there's been, again, this massive outpouring of excitement and enthusiasm about that. You know, we are a nation of wildlife lovers, and yet we live in one of the most depleted, wildlife-depleted nations on Earth. There's a disconnect here, which I think a lot of people would, would like to see change. So let's not stop at the stalk. 
let's bring back another magnificent missing bird, the pelican. Did you know that the Dalmatian pelican is a native bird in Britain? Or it was a native bird, I mean it is a native bird, but it's been wiped out and it's called the Dalmatian pelican because it's basically confined to a few areas in southeastern Europe now, but it used to live across Europe. Let's bring it back. Wouldn't it be amazing to have pelicans flying over us on their way to fish? Let's bring back a lot of species which are confined to tiny pockets now, like golden eagles. They should be right across Britain, but they've been wiped out by persecution. Capercaillies, similarly. Um, let's bring back the pine martins everywhere. They're coming back already. Let's have far more of them. And beavers and wild boar. Let's be ambitious and start talking about lynx and wolves as well. Let's reconnect our rivers, bringing back the connections between countryside and town. At the moment, the rivers are all fenced along their length. They're, they're interrupted by dams and weirs, some of which are necessary. Not all of them are. And, and they potentially form these wildlife corridors which connect the wildlife of the lowlands to the wildlife of the uplands and connect us to that wildlife. They connect wildlife to our lives. Let's allow them to be as free-flowing corridors as possible with the great migrations of fish moving up and down them once more. The otters, the kingfishers, all the other phenomenal wildlife which loves those rivers and some of which is already beginning to come back to our cities to the great delight of the people who see them. At sea, let's turn our marine protected areas, which are completely unprotected in most cases. They're just paper parks, lines on a map, nothing more than that. Let's turn them into real protected areas from which we exclude commercial fishing. I mean, isn't this crazy that these, we've created this whole system of nature reserves and trawlers and dredgers are allowed to pass right through them and take everything that's living there, just about, and smash anything that they don't take. It's quite an extraordinary situation. Let's do what many people have been calling for for a long time, make 30% of our territorial waters true protected areas by excluding all extractive activities, starting with by far the greatest threat to marine ecosystems, which is commercial fishing. Um, and yeah, sure, we've got to be fully aware all the time um, and thinking of what Carolyn and Michael and, and, and um, our other wonderful speakers have been saying of, of food security, of the, the, the need um, to make sure that the countryside is still feeding us. But I think we can reconcile these aims fairly easily because the places which lend themselves to rewilding on a large scale are those which are extremely unproductive in, in terms of, of, of producing food. Um, so, for instance, in the uplands of Britain, about 4 million hectares of them are currently devoted to sheep farming, all of which is a loss-making activity, only supported by taxpayers' money. And yet that 4 million hectares, which is more than twice the size of the entire built environment, almost the same size as all our arable production, produces just 1% of our food. It, it's really a, a crazily wasteful and profligate use of land, it would be far better to rewild that land, pay the same people to do something completely different, to bring back the wildlife, to take down the fences, to make this a wonderful place, both for our missing species and for the missing people. I want to see the land repeopled. I want there to be good jobs again in the countryside, plenty of income, plenty of employment, but also plenty of people roaming around. Let's have a right to roam 
across England and Wales and Northern Ireland, the same as they now have in Scotland. Reconnect people to the green spaces. As Patrick was saying, this is so critical to our mental health as we've been discovering recently. And again, let's reward ourselves coming out of this disaster with something fantastic to look forward to. And this will enable us, not, it won't, while, it, while not compromising our, our food security, it will enable us to become self-sufficient in wildlife experiences, not to have to travel halfway around the world to have magnificent encounters with other beings, to connect with the minds of others, as, as Jennifer's fantastic talk um, um, su suggests that we should do. Um, but I've heard a lot of people express hopes a bit like this, but in a rather passive sense recently saying, well, I wonder what will happen. How will we emerge from this? Will it be a better world? Will it be a worse world? Um, well, let, let's wait and see what happens. Sorry, politics is not a spectator sport. If you want to change things for the better, you have to be there. You have to be involved. We can't just sit and wait and hope that things will get better because if we do that, they don't. Other people move into that space and there are certain very powerful corporate lobbyists who are very well positioned to move into political spaces because they've been doing it for a very long time. We have to get there first. We have to use all the tools in the democratic toolbox to create the magnificent and richer world that we want to live in. So let's start mobilizing now. Let's start using those tools. Let's start sketching out the richer and wilder world that we want to be part of. And as soon as we are released from lockdown, let's create that world. Thank you.